Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Thursday Morning Report. This was a project I did a few years back in partnership with Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, where I volunteered as an engineer, host, and producer. Enjoy this one-hour interview program that went out live over the radio on KZYX. If you like what you are hearing, you can check out my current podcast, The Shift with Doug McKenty, on your favorite podcast hosting site, or find out more on Facebook and YouTube at The Shift with Doug McKenty. I'm also on Twitter at McKenty. If you want to support the program, look up The Shift on Patreon, or find it on the web at www.theshiftnow.com and click on subscribe. Subscribers receive access to full-length feature episodes of The Shift, as well as the membership forum, where members can engage in discussions and participate in the evolution of the show. Stay tuned for this episode of the Thursday Morning Report from KZYX Radio in Mendocino County, California. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Thursday Morning Report right here on KZYX. This morning I'll be speaking with Ginger McCall of the Electronic Privacy Information Center. Let's see if she's on the line here. Good morning, Ginger. Are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, got it there. Excellent. Okay, perfect. Uh, well, uh, just to get started here, can you uh, explain a little bit about uh, the EPIC and what you all do? So at the Electronic Privacy Information Center, we focus on emerging privacy issues, um, particularly um, in the Internet realm, um, but also national security issues. We also have a component that works on Freedom of Information Act requests, uh, appeals, and litigation. So we're kind of fighting on both fronts for, for privacy and also for more government openness. So what kind of challenges uh, are you finding as the technology advances? Uh, there must be more and more capabilities for people to infringe on our privacy. Uh, are you finding that new technologies uh, constantly emerging or sort of testing these boundaries for us? Certainly. Um, and we found again and again that the technology tends to outpace the legislation and the regulation. Um, in the Internet context in particular, there are so many interesting emerging privacy issues that come up. It, it's just pretty much constant, the new things that come up on the Internet. All right. Um, one of the things that we wanted to focus on today was the uh, the body scanners in the airport. I guess that's just what I wanted to mention. That was the initial uh, w the issue that I was looking up and when I found uh, epic.org, which is your website, uh, I was just amazed at all of the different issues that uh, you guys have been working on there, uh, including the smart meters and the fusion centers. Uh, can you just explain a couple of the, the other different uh, the different issues that you're tackling over there? So we've done a lot um, on social networking and privacy. That's things like Facebook or Twitter um, and the privacy issues that surround that. Um, in particular with Facebook, the ways that people think they may be protecting their information on Facebook and keeping that information kind of clamped down and within a small sphere of friends on Facebook. And then Facebook will change its policies and that information will be broadcast out to a much larger group of people. Um, Facebook seems to have kind of a continual push toward disclosing more and more user information and making more and more user information, um, by default, public information. Uh, this is information that users may have thought they had protected with their privacy settings. Uh, we've also done a lot of work surrounding cloud computing. Um, cloud computing is another really interesting issue that comes up online. Uh, with cloud computing, what you're basically doing is taking a service that you would normally be using on your desktop, something like Microsoft Word on the desktop, and you're moving it into the Internet context where information that you would have previously 
um, saved on your hard drive, you're saving up in the cloud um, on someone else's server. Mm -hmm. So Microsoft Word would be something you do on your desktop. The cloud computing equivalent of that would be like Google Docs where the information isn't being saved on your hard drive, it's being saved on someone else's server. And the issues that come up with this is is the issue of, of control over your own information, over your own documents. So where 15 years ago you would have had your documents on your computer, and then if there was some sort of law enforcement request or a third-party request or a, a, a marketer's request for that information, you would know what's happening with that information. You would know if that information is going to be breached, if that information is going to be shared with someone else. Um, in the cloud computing context, you don't hold your documents. They're on the central server somewhere. So that information could be shared with third-party marketers. It could be shared with the government without your knowledge or your consent. Yeah, and that's that's where we're getting into kind of crossing the line here. I mean, there's something about uh, search and seizure, right, that, that the government is supposed to conform to, and yet uh, if we if we have all of our information out over the internet, uh, then they can just kind of go through the back door, as it were, and find out all of this stuff about you, and you don't even know what's going on. And that's the very interesting case we're seeing it right now with WikiLeaks and Twitter, um, where the government, the Department of Justice, had asked Twitter to turn over user information on. Um, particular users who were involved with WikiLeaks. And a lot of times when an Internet company is faced with this sort of request by the government, they just turn over the information. There's no real notification requirement. We have a law that covers this, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, but it's about 20 years old. It hasn't really been updated uh, to keep pace with technology. So the companies oftentimes don't fight these requests on, law, on the part of law enforcement. They just hand over the user information. And not only do they hand over that information, but they never notify the users that the, the government has even made the request and that that information has been shared. In the case of Twitter, I mean, Twitter showed a lot of a lot of backbone in this, and they actually fought that government request for information. Um, they fought it, and they won the ability to notify the users that their information was being requested by the U.S. government. All right, and and now the government's got these fusion centers. I don't know how many of our listeners know about these, but where they're uh, they're actually then, if they get information on lots of people, uh, they compile them in in these one central locations. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, there's just a lot of of effort going into discovering everybody's information and then putting it all together. So there's basically a file on everyone, I guess, <laughs> or almost everyone in in these fusion centers. And, and the way that we've seen, the way that the government imagines this going down is that the information that's added to those fusion center databases is not just added by government actors. It's also added by, by private actors, private companies that you interact with. Um, I've seen a list, actually, of the kind of um, industries that the government expects to be contributing to these fusion center databases. Mm -hmm. It includes the hotel industry, the travel industry, the educational in industry, um, I mean, all sorts of you know, the financial industry. Like, basically, pretty much everything that you do, every industry, every company is hoping that they're going to be keeping these extensive databases on all of your financial transactions, your travel plans, your, you know, hotel reservations. Um, I mean, all your educational history, your employment history, all of these things they want to have records on stored in some centralized database with very little protection for for you and for your information. And one of the things that we see when we have large government databases, and this is why the Privacy Act was enacted, this act, um, whenever the government is thinking about making a database, they have to publish uh, a notice 
that they're going to be making database. And along with that, there are certain rights that are given to individuals. You have a right to, you know, see information on yourself. You have a right to correct uh, mistakes that might be there in the database. And we see again and again that there are mistakes in these databases. There are mistakes that cost people their jobs, that cost people their livelihood, that cause people to get wrongly arrested and held. Um, you know, these are simple mistakes like uh, a name mix-up. And, and yet, with these fusion centers, the government seems to really want to hide the centers to not provide people information on themselves, to not allow people to correct mistakes in the fusion center databases. And it, it could cost. It could cost people a whole lot. Yeah, that's fascinating. And, and so few people uh, even really realize that's going on right now. And we've seen, we saw in Virginia that the fusion center there had actually exempted itself from state open government laws. Um, that there's wow. a memorandum of understanding to exempt that center from the state open government laws. And these are the laws that protect us. These are the laws that protect us as citizens, that allow us to see what the government is up to, and the government continues to, to try to block all efforts by citizens to create some sort of accountability and openness. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, now let's skip over uh, just really quickly and discuss the smart meters, which is another another way uh, they're starting to make their way into Mendocino County, and uh, a lot of people are getting a little bit upset about it. So um, if you could just describe uh, what uh, the EPIC is doing uh, with the smart meter issue. So here at EPIC, we've, we've really been focusing on this issue a lot, and we've kind of been on the forefront of it. Um, with the smart meters, I don't know how familiar your listeners are on exactly what these do, what the capabilities are, but the idea behind them is that your devices, your electronic devices, should be able to monitor, like, to monitor themselves and to send out announcements on themselves, basically, uh, on, you know, what your electronic devices are up to when you're not home. Um, and the purpose behind this ostensibly is for energy conservation. If you know how much a, de- a particular device is being used, how much electricity is being used by that device, you know, how often it's being turned on, then you can perhaps make wiser choices about your energy consumption. But the problem here is, uh, the privacy problem here is that if someone gets a hold of that information, if someone else other than just you is able to access that information, they can know what time you're home. They can know exactly what you're doing in your home. Um, and this is very problematic. These are things that people might want to keep to themselves. Yeah, it's fascinating. The, the government uh, doesn't seem to be that interested in protecting our privacy. <laughs> no, no. Uh, yeah, I wonder. Uh, I mean, they, they sort of claim that it's, it's uh, to protect us, but uh, when they're not letting us make the choices uh, to participate in things like the database or, or the uh, smart meters, then you've got to raise some questions, I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the the purpose of government transparency is because you can't be an informed voter, you can't be an informed and participatory citizen unless you actually know what the government is up to. All right. Well, the time is 9.15. I'm Doug McKenty, the host of the Thursday Morning Report here on KZYX. I'm speaking with Ginger McCall of the Electronic Privacy Information Center. Uh, we're talking about how a modern technology is, uh, is really being used to uh, infringe uh, upon our lives and our personal privacy. Uh, but the real reason why I wanted to have Ginger on was because I wanted to talk about these, uh, the, the body scanners uh, going on uh, at the nation's airports right now. Uh, Ginger, do you want to just kind of introduce that? Sure. Um, so the body scanners are devices. There are two basic kinds of body scanners. There's uh, backscatter and millimeter wave. These have been deployed by TSA at airports around the country. Um, I, TSA is 
continually deploying these machines. The the GAO report, I think, cited a figure of about $2.6 billion for these machines. Um, the machines have been out, I think, since 2007, 2008. We've been working on this issue since then. Um, they were initially billed as being a secondary screening device. Uh, what that means is primary screening device would be the magnetometer, the devices that we've been seeing at airports for years, um, the, the metal detectors. Mm-hmm. And if you were to set off that metal detector, then you would be asked to go through secondary screening, and that secondary screening would be either a pat-down or the whole body imaging machine, body scanner. Um, TSA has since changed its tune and decided that it wants to make these devices um, primary screening devices. Now, the problem with this is that these devices produce a very, very graphic picture, a very graphic naked picture of the person who's standing inside the device. And that picture is then broadcast um, via Ethernet cable to um, a person in a remote room that's probably maybe 10 or 15 feet away from the scanner device uh, who then evaluates that image to look for possible threats. Um, But the image itself is very graphic. You know, it shows genitalia. It shows, you know, intimate body details uh, projected to some stranger in a back room. So that that was our concern with these. And uh, when we initially heard about these devices and TSA's intention to switch them from secondary screening to primary screening methods, um, which primary screening means it's the very first screening method you're going to interact with when you go through the security line. Mm-hmm. You're not going to go through the magnetometer. You're going to be going through this device instead, um, as opposed to it being if you set off the magnetometer, then you have to go through this device. So when we heard about that, we decided to, to file several Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, and as a part of those requests, we actually obtained, uh, after some time, some very significant documents. Uh, we made the request to the agency. The agency ignored our request, which we found to be fairly routine when dealing with the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, they regularly ignore deadlines. They regularly ignore Freedom of Information Act requests, which is not permitted under the Freedom of Information Act. The free- under the Freedom of Information Act, the agency has a set deadline uh, in which it needs to respond to Freedom of Information Act requests. And the agency routinely ignores that deadline. It routinely ignores its statutory obligation. So we got these documents back after we finally sued the agency for ignoring our Freedom of Information Act request. And what we saw, we thought, was actually very useful to the public discussion about these machines. Uh, We got a procurement specifications document, which was authored by TSA, an operational requirements document that was also authored by TSA, and several vendor contracts. Uh, We got hundreds of pages of traveler complaints. Um, And what we saw in the procurement specifications and operational requirements document were that these machines were designed uh, at TSA's demand to be able to store and transmit these images. Uh, The machines were designed to have USB capabilities, which means that, you know, those little USB keys that you carry around, they can be put into the machine and and files, including images, can then be transferred onto them. Uh, the machines were designed to have privacy filters, but have privacy filters that can be turned off. Uh, we also saw when we looked at the traveler complaints, the TSA was not informing the public of what these machines were, what the machines were capable of, and that they had an opt uh, uh, an opt out for a pat down. That if you are asked to go through this machine, you can opt out and, and say, "I would like a pat down." Um, but TSA was not informing people of that, so people were being essentially forced to go through a machine that they were not told would create this graphic image. And what about uh, what about the radiation too? I've heard about that. 
Yeah, we also have a Freedom of Information Act request that has turned into a lawsuit because the agency failed to respond. Um, we have a Freedom of Information Act request asking the agency to provide us for, with all documents uh, regarding radiation tests or um, radiation risk assessments. Uh, the agency claims that these machines are safe. They claim that it's not going to expose you to more radiation than you would be exposed to, I think, in two or three minutes of air travel. But those claims are based on uh, several studies that were done, I believe at least one of which was ostensibly an independent study. But the problem with those studies is that they weren't designed to evaluate the risk that these machines present to human beings, to, to living creatures. They were designed to determine what the level of radiation output is when the machine is brand new in the ideal scenario, which is a completely different question. Are, what is the radiation output of these machines in a testing scenario is a completely different question than what is the radiation output of these machines in an actual operational situation. What is the radiation output of these machines and what is the effect of that radiation output on human beings? Those are three different questions, and they only evaluated the first. Um, and what we've seen with radiation is that, you know, in a hospital context where the machines are probably much more carefully monitored than they would be in an airport context, there are radiation machines that are dosing people with a far larger dose of radiation than they were ever intended to because they're not properly maintained. And we're very concerned that these body scanner machines will do the same thing, that they will not be properly maintained. We have no evidence from TSA indicating that these machines will be properly maintained. Um, these, if they're not properly maintained, then they could dose people with a very high dose of radiation. And even aside from that, we've seen several medical, medical and radiation experts come out and say that the level of radiation output by these machines is, in fact, risky to humans. Uh, particularly because it's focused in uh, high-risk areas like the scalp and the face. Uh, it would be particularly problematic for pregnant women, for children, for people with some sort of immunocompromising disorder. And, um, you know, for that reason, we filed a Screener Information Act request because we really wanted to see whether the agency had done proper testing, and they've given us no reason to believe that they have. They've given us no documents. Hmm. Well, uh, the next question, I guess, well, I, I guess I... I wanted to get to, you can opt out uh, of doing the, the screening when you get to the airport, but then you get the pat-down, and the pat-down is fairly intrusive as well. Is that right? It is very intrusive. Um, the pat-down is a highly intrusive pat-down. It's become more so, I think, since more people have been opting out of the body scanners. A lot of the complaints that we received suggested that perhaps these pat-downs are retaliatory, um, and they're done in a way that would try to dissuade people from opting out of the machines. Um, one other interesting thing that we found in our Freedom of Information Act request that I, I forgot to mention earlier is that these machines were not designed to detect powdered explosives. So the argument on the other side is always, well, we have to submit to these what's a little bit of privacy when you're facing such a huge national security threat. But the problem here is that people are being asked to trade a very large amount of their privacy for, at most, negligible improvement in security, because these machines were not designed to detect the very powdered explosives that are currently one of the largest threats, the PETN. The machines were designed to detect high-density objects, high-density non-metallic objects, um, hard plastics, ceramics, not powdered explosives, which were a low-density object. So at the end of the day, they probably wouldn't even be that effective at uh, protecting us. Yeah, and studies and national security experts have, have concurred on this. 
was there a reason to believe that the the old uh, the old version wasn't getting the job done? I mean, why did they try to step it up to this level in the first place? Well, the argument here, and I think the person who makes this argument best is Bruce Schneier, who has a really excellent blog online, and and you can find um, a lot of his stuff, his speeches, his writings online. His argument is that this is, in fact, national security theater, that this is the government's way of making people feel better. We feel better, but we're not actually gaining any security. And, in fact, the security threat in this situation is being vastly overblown. Um, You know, what we found here is that the most effective things that we can do is screen the baggage under the plane, um, make sure that the cockpit is secured, which we've done with the doors, um, and make sure that the the passengers and everyone else around are prepared to deal with you know the 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 possibility of something going wrong on the flight. And we saw this with the Christmas Day bomber that it was in fact the passengers who subdued that bomber. Um, I mean TSA, there is a threat. It is perhaps overblown. Um, I mean the number of people who who have died in in terrorist attacks in the U.S. is low compared to a lot of other threats that we consider to be acceptable. I mean, we all get in our cars and drive every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we walk on the sidewalk. You know, we consume things that we know might, in fact, be a risk to us. You know, we, we smoke cigarettes, we drink, um, we drink cola, we eat a lot of junk food. You know, we, we do a lot of things that cause risk. And this risk, I think, because the image of it is so engraved in our minds because it's such a dramatic image when you see these terrorist attacks that it tends to stand out in the memory and we tend to perhaps over over analyze that risk and overblow that risk um you know but there is a point at which you simply have to accept that every day when we go out in the world we we have a certain amount of risk that we are facing um and we cannot possibly eliminate all risk and the airport is one of those scenarios. You know, when you're on a plane, you cannot possibly eliminate all the risks associated with that. You know, you, you may, in fact, think that the risk is higher than it is, you know, as opposed to getting in the car. I mean, Bruce likes to joke that the, um, if, you're, if you're going on a flight to somewhere, the most dangerous part of your whole trip is, is your drive to the airport. You know, it is still your drive to the airport, even though, you know, we perceive there to be an increased terrorist threat Still, the most dangerous part of the trip is the drive to the airport. And what we're doing here is we're trading over our liberty, our privacy, for the illusion of security. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what authority does the TSA have to, to bust these things out and start, uh, you know, was there a law passed in, by Congress that allowed them to do this? or? Uh, um, if TSA argues, and, and you can actually see this, we have their brief up on our website, we have filed suit against them to suspend this program, um, which is another thing I can talk about if you'd like to. Um, we filed suit against them to suspend the body scanner program, and they have replied, obviously, with a brief. And you can look at their brief, and it outlines kind of the various statutory arguments that they have, um, why they think they have the statutory authority to do this, and to do it without having to engage in any sort of notice and, pub- notice and comment public rulemaking, which would typically be associated with this sort of program. Um, You know, I mean, they have a variety of statutory arguments. Obviously, TSA has the authority to conduct security at the airport. Um, They have the authority to screen passengers, but we don't believe that they have the authority to do... That's not a blank check. You know, they don't have the authority to to strip search everyone who passes through the security checkpoint. 
And we feel that this is certainly the equivalent of that. Yeah, especially when they're saving the images. Yeah. And they can send them to whoever, send them to the Fusion Center and put it in, in one of your files. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm very surprised if if they caught someone, if they were using these machines and they caught someone who had something suspect on them, and then over the course of the prosecution of that person, they didn't bring out some sort of image. All right, well, let's go. So the, the Congress never actually passed a law that said that these body scanners were okay. It hasn't been some, It was something that the TSA did uh, of their own volition. Well, Congress passed a law. Um, they, it was um, a, kind of a, an, an amendment or a note to a law that authorized TSA to conduct a pilot program. They did not authorize TSA to make this a primary screening technique. They did not authorize TSA to roll these out in airports across the country. They did not authorize TSA to to go and, and, and buy three of these and make them the primary screening device in, in every airport. And so uh, TSA went ahead and, and did it anyway. Is it something that um, each airport can choose to, whether they want them or not, or is it something that the TSA can come in and say, now you're going to do it this way? Well, it, cer- it certainly seems, from TSA's point of view, like they can say, now you're going to do it this way. We've heard of airports opting out of TSA screening, but then usually they're just opting into like private private contractor screening, which the private contractors have the same sorts of requirements for screening. You know, TSA still gets to lay down a lot of the requirements there, you know, you're not going to be seeing anything really different. I, I wouldn't expect to see a real difference between private contractors and, and TSA. So what's been happening uh, in the news? I, I've heard of a couple of DAs here in California that are really starting to try to uh, use the local laws to make sure that these, these people don't uh, cross the line into the, the illegal search and seizure realm, especially with the pat-downs. Um, is there anything currently happening in terms of, of law uh, uh, other than uh, the uh, EPIC lawsuit that's going on to try to challenge this? Well, we've seen um, council members in New York City trying to ban these devices from use in New York City's airports, too. All right, so there is a little bit of a movement to try to shut this down. And we also, we had a a conference recently on this topic, and we had um, some staffers. uh, We had, actually, Representative Holt there, and then staffer from uh, Representative Chaffetz. And Chaffetz actually had um, sponsored a bill in the House that passed, to make to eliminate the use of these machines as primary screening. Um, now, both Representative Holt and Representative Chaffetz have said that they are interested in limiting the use of these machines and in ensuring that they don't get used as as a primary screening device. So perhaps it's something to look to the new Congress for. All right. Yeah, let's get to work on that. <laughs> okay, the time is now 9.31. You're listening to the Thursday Morning Report here on KZYX. I'm your host, Doug McKenzie. Today, I'm speaking with Ginger McCall of the Electronic Privacy Information Center. That's epic.org if you want to look it up. And uh, we're talking about uh, trying to maintain uh, some semblance of, of privacy in the uh, modern technological age and focusing on the body scanners, in particular at the airports. Uh, if you have a question for our guest, you can call up... Uh, on the air, 895-2448. We'll get you in the studio, uh, and we'll start taking calls for the last half of the program. Uh, have we seen less people traveling? 
since this has started to happen. I mean, I know I don't really feel like going. I haven't flown since <laughs> since they instituted this, and I'm not sure I really want to. Uh, but have we, have we seen uh, the numbers of declining? It's it's hard for us to actually get that data. I think that probably the airlines would be in the best place mm-hmm. to to really compile that sort of data. What we have seen, and this is kind of the interesting wrinkle in this whole thing, there was a, a scheduled protest for the day before Thanksgiving, uh, opt-out day. And, you know, this, this protest made the national media. There was a lot of discussion, uh, especially on the cable news shows about this. Um, and TSA, you know, they really rolled out their very best PR people to try and combat this protest. And in the end, they kind of somewhat won that PR battle because, what they did is they, they shut off the machines or they moved them off to the side and they directed everyone through the magnetometers, and we received numerous reports of this. Uh, we had a lot of people come to us afterward and say, you know, we were going to opt out, but the machine wasn't there, or we were going to opt out, but they just directed us, they waved us through the magnetometer. Hmm. Um, and this was in some ways a, a masterful PR trick on the part of TSA. You know, if you eliminate these machines, you eliminate the possibility for people to opt out and then, you know, it seems to the national media, you know, as though everyone is moving quickly through the lines and the protest has completely fizzled, um, when in fact that was not the case. I mean, what happened there was the TSA somewhat capitulated. Uh, they, they moved the machines off to the side. And, and we've heard a lot of reports from people that TSA has kind of made a general practice of doing that around um, heavily trafficked uh, holiday travel days. So, you know. It creates the appearance that they're they're not pushing for it as hard as they are. Yeah, it, it creates it creates the appearance that any kind of protest would not be successful. Uh, it creates the appearance that everything is going fine, everything is going smooth at the airport. No one's opting out of these machines when really you know people aren't opting out because the machine's not being used. So, you know, we there were it, it certainly seems to us, and we've heard a lot of reports from people who say that they're not traveling by plane anymore. I personally, if I have the option, you know, obviously if I'm coming out to California from D.C., I'm going to have to take a plane. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm going to New York, if I'm going to Boston, I'll take the train. You know, if I'm going to visit my family in Pittsburgh, I'll drive my car. Yeah, it you seems... Know, I, don't, I don't fly if I don't have to. Right. It seems like that's the... you got to hit them in their pocketbook. Yeah, I yeah. think if if, uh, if the airlines start seeing a real decline, then uh, they, they'll approach the TSA and <laughs> probably yeah. get the job done. And people really need to, you know, as citizens, we really need to keep the heat on the TSA about this. Um, if you're unhappy with this program and you're faced with the machine, opt out. If you're unhappy with this program and something happens at the airport, you know, with your pat-down, with your opt-out that you feel is, is harmful to your rights, write a complaint or let us know. We actually have an incident report on our website, and we would be really happy to hear from anyone who, who has you know, any sort of unusual experience at the airport or any experiences related to these machines. All right. Well, I did have a call coming in. If you want to call right back, 895-2448 gets you in the studio, and I'll take that call. So let's talk a little bit. Well, all right. There's the caller. So let's take him. Uh, good morning. You're on KZYX. Hi, it's George up in Willis. I hear them talk, heard her talking about uh, electromagnetic radiation. I was a radar technician in the Air Force for 22 years, and I ended up with 22 cancers on my head and two tumors out of my chest, all due to that radiation. So. Just want to let you know. Right. It's a real problem. Yeah. 
like the White House. All right. Well, thanks for the call. Thank you for being nice on the radio. I do my best. That's what she said. <laughs> I'm an old joker at 83. Well, thanks for the call, George. Yeah, bye. Uh, all right. It looks like I lost Ginger, actually. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, pop the music up and give her a call right back, and we'll finish the show. So give me just a second here, everyone, and uh, we'll make it happen. it gonna be cause people will tune in how many train wrecks do we need to see before we lose touch of and we thought this was low well it's bad getting worse off where'd all the good people go I've been changing channels I don't see them on the TV show where'd all the good people go we got heaps and heaps of what we saw They got this and that with a rattle attack test And one, two, man, what you gonna do? Bad news, missed news, got too much to lose Give me some truth, now whose side are we on? Whatever you say, turn on the boob tube I'm in the mood to obey, so lead me astray And by the way now Where'd all the good people go? I've been changing channels, I don't see them on the TV shows. Where'd all the good people go? We got heaps and heaps of what we saw. Alright, and we're back. Now let me see. Ginger, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, perfect. Now I'm going to try to take another phone call, and I think it's going to work this time. Uh, good morning. You're on the Thursday Morning Report. Hi. Yeah, I was Hi. really Hi. interested in what you've been talking about. One thing I, I wanted to bring up is that uh, I think if the TSA is able to kind of put this across, that uh, they're, what they're doing is sort of normalizing the use of those machines, and that everywhere you see you know, metal detectors, not like just trying to go into a courtroom or something, uh, they're going to be pushing to install those scanners. Uh, you know, and I'm from LA, I'm just kind of driving through your area, but they've, uh, they've installed uh, metal detectors at schools and high schools in LA. And, uh, you know, I think this is like, uh, it's a slippery slope uh, as they, you know, normalize that and the next step comes in. I was wondering if, uh, you know, Epic has uh, thought about that prospect. Yeah, very. We have actually. Um, so we filed, we, we looked on the TSA website and it said that uh, millimeter wave machines, uh, body scanner machines, have actually been put in place at airports around the country. Um, and we filed a Freedom of Information Act request to get um, <clears throat> contracts and images and other documents related to the use of these machines in courthouses. We filed that request with the Department of Justice because it's the U.S. Marshal Service who oversees the courthouse security. And we ended up getting back 100 images from a machine that had been deployed in um, in Florida, in an Orlando courthouse. And these 100 images were considered a representative sample of the 35,000 images that were being stored on this machine. And, you know, when we talked to them, 
the the people, the marshals service seemed like they were completely unaware of the fact that these machines were even storing these images. Uh, meanwhile, there were thirty five thousand images stored on this machine. Hmm. So you know, we and we've also seen stories about um, mobile backscatter units being <clears throat> deployed around the country. Um, that the government has been buying these backscatter vans, which are are similar technology, um, and it's in a van. It's it's a moving van that can scan cars and scan people on the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen test programs in New Jersey Path train transit system uh, in New Jersey and New York. So we also filed a Freedom of, Freedom of Information Act request about the mobile backscatter vans and the use of backscatter or millimeter wave technology in ground transit. Uh, that request we filed the day before Thanksgiving, actually, and you can find the request on our website. And, you know, we're still waiting, as usual, to hear back from the agency. Yeah, I've heard, um, I've heard about machines that can actually look into your house. Like, they'll drive by and they'll point the, the thing, you know, the x-ray at, mm-hmm. at your house, and then they can see inside your house. Uh, have you heard about these? Is that the next level of, of uh, privacy uh, infringement? That- that may be the Z backscatter van, uh-huh. um, and we've seen some stories about those. We're trying to get more information on it, which is why we made the Freedom of Information Act request to the agency. But again, we haven't gotten any documents back from them. Shocker! Right? Um, wow. They're you know they are statutorily obligated to respond to us, but they uh, seem to feel free to ignore that obligation. Well, all right. Uh, I've got 20 minutes left in the program, 895-2448. If you have a question for our guest, I'm speaking with Ginger McCall of the Electronic Privacy Information Center, uh, speaking specifically about the TSA body scanning technology that we're seeing in the airports across the country now. And uh, I'll take another call. Uh, good morning. You're on the Thursday morning report. Hi, I got a question. I was wondering, um, is there any scanners that count lots of money driving on the highways? Well, that's a good question. Uh, have you heard about that, Ginger? Um, I, I yeah, I, I can't really speak to that. I haven't heard anything about that in particular. All right, yeah, I've just heard a little bit about. I guess they're putting the electronic strips inside uh, bills now, and apparently, uh, the oh, police... so something like an RFID. I th- I think so, and then they. I, can... I mean, that is that is conceivable. I mean, what you have right now with RFID, the way that the government has been using that lately is you have an RFID chip in passports, you have it in green cards. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing about green cards is these, these are people who are lawful permanent residents in this country, um, but they have to carry that green card on them at all times, and then the green card has an RFID chip in it, which means that it's trackable at, from a distance, in fact. Um, if you have the RFID reader, you, know, you, can, you can read the information on that RFID from you know, 10, 15 feet away. So I guess it is conceivable if you're going to be tracking bills with uh, with an RFID tag, then, yeah, you could have a reader there. Um, we've also seen RFID tags used in the retail context, uh, particularly by Walmart. Um, when you buy a product and it's tagged with RFID, mm-hmm. and then, you know, that can be read remotely. And so what kind of information do these things have? Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on, on what, you're, what you're talking about. With a green card, you know, it would probably have a person's name, you know, if they have some sort of permanent resident number, um, other personal identifi- personally identifying information associated with that person. Um, with a product, you know, it would perhaps be a unique product number, um, like a unique tag for that particular item, um, and then other information associated with the product. 
What about cell phones? Here's something I've thought about. I mean, if you have a cell phone, especially one that has a GPS capability, uh, can can somebody you know from far away can they tap into your cell phone signal and, and discover information on your phone or, or figure out where you are anyway through the GPS? Well, the GPS actually there are a number of applications that you know you you might have for your smartphone, and those applications have access to your locational information. So if you have a smartphone, like I have a Droid, mm-hmm. um, and the Droid, it knows where it is at all times. Um, and then if I download an application that has access to that locational information, like the application developers would certainly have knowledge of where I am, where, that, where the Droid is. Mm-hmm. Assuming that it is with me, then where I am. Right, yeah. People really have to be informed about this and and then be careful about how they use their technology. Yeah. All right. You got to be mindful of the apps that you download and give access to your things. Um, I mean, we've seen this on Facebook, too, that applications have been gathering information on people. And there are a lot of people who post uh, locational information up on Facebook. You know, you check in at Starbucks, you check in at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And what they don't realize when they're checking in is that the, the specific location is then broadcast out to everyone. And, in fact, uh, for certain check-in applications, you can click on that then. Um, if it posts out to my feed that I've checked in at home, you can click on that, and there's a link there, and it takes you to a map that shows you exactly where I checked in, where oh, home is. Right. Wow. All right, 15 minutes left in the program. 895-2448 will get you in, and I'll take another call. Good morning. You're on the Thursday morning report. All cell phones uh, have a GPS uh, now. They were phased over about four years ago. It's no longer possible to have a cell phone without GPS, and it operates whether the phone is on or off. Just thought I'd fill that in. All right. Very good. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I think ostensibly that's a, a safety precaution so you can be located. You know, if if you're lost in the woods, if you have some sort of accident, they they want to be able to locate where you are based on where the phone is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has very real privacy ramifications. Yeah, I mean, they all have uh, some sort of a, a good idea or a good argument behind them, but uh, people do need to be aware that uh, these this information can be used for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we'll keep taking calls. I've got a lot of people calling up here. Good morning, you're on KZYX. Yeah, hi. Um, I, I appreciate the show today and your, your guest. Um, Thanks. I'm calling largely about to let, let her and, and other listeners know about an article that I saw recently in, in uh, Greenfuse magazine. That's a free publication out of Garberville or Redway. Mm-hmm. And uh, the author is Chris Hedges, who your guest, Ginger, might know of. He, he recently wrote the book uh, Death of the Liberal Class, and he used to mm-hmm. write for the New York Times for a long time. He writes for Truth Dig now. But he, he compared um, two really popular books that a lot of folks have read in high school, Brave New World and 1984. And um, he, he's talking particularly about the things that uh, Ginger and you are talking about today. Um, anyway, I'll, I'll send, I don't think their publication is online. I'll send, I'll send a copy of it to uh, the Epic uh, organization. Uh, for yeah, Ginger, that would be but, fantastic. But other folks locally may want to check it out in, in Greenfuse magazine. It's the current uh, January issue. And again, it's by Chris Hedges. He wrote for the New York Times for about 20 years. He's really an articulate and pretty credible person. The, the article is called Brave New Dystopia, hmm. as in, you know, the opposite of utopia. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, it's a comparison and kind of 
some of the aspects that are currently happening with, you know, Brave New World and 1984. If, if I could, I'd like to quote uh, for about 30 seconds something in here. I think it's really a powerful statement. Okay, sure. All right? Okay. Um, the political philosophical Sheldon Wolin uses the term inverted totalitarianism in a book, Democracy Incorporated, to describe our political system. It is a term that would make sense to Huxley. Aldous Huxley, of course, wrote uh, Brave New World. Mm-hmm. In inverted totalitarianism, the sophisticated technologies of corporate control, intimidation, and mass manipulation, which far surpass those employed by the previous totalitarian states, are effectively masked by the glitter, noise, and abundance of a consumer society. Political participation and civil liberties are gradually surrendered. The corporation state, hiding behind the smoke string of public relations industry, entertainment industry, and the tawdry materialism of a consumer society, devours us from the inside out. It owes no allegiance to us or the nation. It feasts upon our carcass. Anyway, I'll... uh, I, I urge folks to take a look at that in in uh, the current uh, um, the current green fuse, and I will I will send a copy to uh, to the Washington headquarters of Epic. Right. Oh, I was actually just able to locate that on uh, Truthdig. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, Okay, so you've got it. Yeah, thank you very yeah, much. I encourage folks to take a look at it. Okay, thanks for the call. Okay, you're welcome. Take care. That does seem to be uh, just part of the problem, like that one earlier caller was saying about uh, they, they kind of uh, incrementally uh, are moving towards this, this situation where there's less and less privacy, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it, it becomes, it's normalized for us. I mean, we got, first of all, we got used to going through the, the old scanners at the airports, and now, you know, we're getting used to the, you know, the new ones, or, we, you know, it was okay for us to take off our shoes or take off our belt, you know, that kind of thing. Just, and then as we get used to it, we, we, I think, have a tendency to think that it's normal and that our privacy isn't that important. Hey, everybody else is going through these things, so, you know, why should I be the one to, to stand up against it? Yeah, and we really have to resist that. Um, we have to resist that situation where we are the proverbial frog in the pot of water. You know, if you throw the, right. the frog in a pot of already boiling water, the frog is going to hop right out. If you put the frog in a pot of, you know, moderately warm water and then slowly turn the heat up, yeah, uh, it's just going to cook. There you uh, go. And we need to avoid being the frog in that scenario. All right. Well, we've got 10 minutes left in the show. 895-2448. We'll get you in the studio. I've got time for just a few more calls, and I'll take another one here. Uh, good morning. You're on KZYX. Hi. I'm just curious, what are the companies that are making the full-body scanners, and uh, um, if they're already ready to go online, is there really any way to stop them if they've already invested that kind of money in the project? Thanks. Good question. Uh, the companies that we're seeing right now are L3 and RapidScan. We actually have contracts from those companies um, up on our website that we got uh, as part of our Freedom of Information Act request. Um, I, I do think that we are able to resist this. I do think that we can essentially roll back the rollout of these machines. Um, we've seen the government back off of ineffective technology before. There were the puffer machines. Millions of dollars were spent on those, and they ended up just gathering dust in most airports hmm. because they weren't effective. Um, and these machines are the same. They're not effective. You know, Not only are they not effective, but they also you know, put people's health at risk. They have profound implications for religious freedom and for privacy, and, you know, we need to resist that. We need to not just assume that this is a battle that we've already lost. We need to continue to resist. 
Yeah, no, didn't you say it was two a two point six billion dollar contract for yeah. all these things? So that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of money, and some of it hasn't been spent yet. You know, they mm-hmm. haven't rolled out all of these devices. They're still in the process of of obtaining them, of training people to use them. I mean, we need to to strongly resist. All right, very good. I'll take another call. Good morning. You're on KZYX. Hi. Good morning. Um, I don't have any problem with uh, nudity. But I don't like the radiation idea, and I don't like to have somebody put their hands on me. So I was wondering, is there a third option where you can just take off all your clothes and put them on that conveyor belt and walk through (laughs) naked? I think a couple of people have done that, haven't they? They have. They have. We've seen that style of protest. (laughs) Uh, TSA does not take too kindly to that. No. Uh, They don't consider that to be a valid third option. (laughs) Well, if enough people did it, maybe it would turn the tide. Thank you. There you go. Yeah, it sounds like a good protest option to me. <laughs> Thanks that would be a highly visible protest. It would get a lot of national news coverage. Right. <laughs> All right, very good. A uh, few more minutes left in the show. I'll keep taking calls. Uh, good afternoon. You're on uh, KZYX. Good morning. Okay, so here's the thing about the smart meter. Okay. It tells you what's running in your house, how long it's running, where you are that's running this, and the the main purpose of that, as I understand it, is that those microwave bursts are there to let PG&E turn off your electricity so that they can prevent uh, the grid breakdowns that we have. So my suggestion is that could we please insert those smart meters not on our houses but on all of the automatic pistols and rifles that are sold in the United States and internationally so we can tell when the gun is fired, where it's being fired at, how often it's being fired, and so that we can turn it off remotely. There you go. That's that's an idea. Wouldn't that be great? I'd like that we could turn off all the guns and then we wouldn't have any problems anymore. I think it's a great idea. Let's Let's change... The application of that smart meter to the weaponry. Do you think that's a good idea? Sure, let's go for it. Thanks. All right, thanks for the call. Bye. Yeah, there you go. Try to try to figure out a, a more positive function for all this. See an interesting application of the uh, smart meter idea. Right. All right. Well, I've got another call. We'll just keep on going until uh, the end of the hour. Good morning. You're on the Thursday morning report. Hi, good morning. Hi. You, you need action. Uh, could I suggest that all your listeners, uh, and maybe, I don't know, we could put this on a website, the CEO's address for every airline company, and just send a postcard saying, I'm going to stop flying if there are these scanners in the airports. If they got millions and millions of these uh, postcards, I think maybe they might think, well, we're going to lose some money here. Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. I mean... Speak to the airlines. Speak to the TSA. Uh, you know, continue speaking until they listen. You hit them in the pocketbook, man. They get scared. Yep. Yeah, that's when, definitely what makes them. I've heard think. congressmen said, "I've got twenty letters on this. You know, I'm not going to vote for this. I got twenty letters. My constituents were against this, and if they're in handwriting rather than in typewritten." generated kind of things on the computer, it, it holds more weight. And I, real quickly, I'd like to add that uh, I don't know if your guest is familiar with GAC. That's government access keys, and uh, I wandered into a real high-tech nerd discussion, and this is probably 15 years ago down there in Ground Zero in Silicon Valley, and the government then was able to access 
your computer and, and companies were required to have GAC, which were little keystrokes or whatever. I did so the software companies have been already, you know, giving away our privacy in the form of hardware and software. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, computer, you know, you, we don't have this, but you probably could for really a lot of money. Um, there are instruments that they can read your computer from maybe 2,200 feet away of what you're typing and just from the electromagnetic fields is what I've heard. And the government would require some of these computer companies to shield their computers in a manner that this wasn't possible. But you and I, we don't get these kind of computers in the market. Mm -hmm. So I'll get off the air enjoying the show very much. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh Bye. So on the subject of of talking to companies, talking to the TSA, I mean, we have seen, we did see that it was pretty effective when people contacted their legislators prior to Thanksgiving um, about their problems with these pat-downs and with these machines. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was at the congressional hearings on this, and there were several congressmen who had received, you know, hundreds or thousands of letters from constituents letting them know how unhappy with these machines they, they were. And these congressmen, they actually did grill the TSA chief about this um, and about the pat-downs. So I, I think it is there is some effectiveness in, in contacting your, your legislators if you're unhappy with something that's happening. Um, and, and what he said about the, the kind of backdoor to get information from computers, we fought that, actually. Um, we fought that back in the 90s with this device called the Clipper Chip, uh, and that's something that you can read more about online and on our website. And what is that? That protects you from, from having other people? I would imagine that if you're using a wireless router in your house, that somebody with the technology could just you know hang out outside and tap into what you're doing. Is that true? Well, it, actually, we saw this come up in the context of Google Street View. Mm-hmm. Um, Google has these Street View fans that they've deployed around the world, to go and record a 360-degree image of, uh, of, of the, the street surrounding that van, as if they were just a pedestrian walking down the street, just, you know, what the pedestrian would see. Um, and in doing this, what Google didn't tell people was that they were also collecting uh, Wi-Fi payload data, which included people's emails, anything from an unencrypted wireless connection, anything that was sent over that connection. So if you have unencrypted wireless, um, then that information can be collected uh, we recommend, obviously, that you would secure your wireless Internet connections, um, you know, if only so that your neighbors can't steal it, um, but also so that um, third parties can't get access to your emails or to other payload data. Um, and the Clipper chip actually was, it was a backdoor that was developed by the U.S. government. Um, they wanted to be able, they wanted companies to comply with that so that the government would be able to monitor um, what was happening on computers. All right. Well, Ginger, we've got really about 30 seconds left. Uh, any concluding remarks? You want to give out the, the website again for, uh, for EPIC? Yep. Uh, E-P-I-C, EPIC.org. Um, and we have a lot of great information on there about body scanners, cloud computing, the Google Street View, um, the fight over the clipper chip, um, you know, a lot of interesting stuff on national security. And we update our website pretty much every day with uh, what we're up to and uh, interesting privacy interesting privacy uh, issues that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of different issues on the website. I advise everyone to try to check it out. And uh, thanks for being on the show this morning, Ginger McCall. Um, That was a great interview. And I hope we raise some awareness about uh, a lot of these issues because as technology progresses, uh, the people are going to really have to figure out how to protect themselves or else it it looks like uh, all, all of our information will just be out there for anyone to use. Great. Thank you very much for having me. And I just, again, remind users... 
none of this is a foregone conclusion. Keep fighting for your privacy. Privacy is not, as, as Facebook's uh, Mark Zuckerberg would say, dead. Uh, we need to continue to fight to keep it alive. All right. Very good. Thank uh, you. Thanks for the interview. Bye-bye. T- take care.